This is the Devil's Junkie Podcast. I am Ralph Hamsden. Uh, basketball is struggling, and Herm Edwards continues to take a beating in the media. It is an interesting time uh, to be a Sun Devil and to be a Sun Devil fan, and we are going to talk about it. I was living in a devil town. I didn't know it was a devil town. Oh, Lord, it really brings me down about the devil town. So, Arizona State basketball. Uh, they were at one point number three in the national rankings. Once conference play uh, started, things have been downhill. Now, things aren't that much different than they were outside of conference play. Actually, a lot of close games, uh, a lot of Arizona State digging holes and ultimately digging themselves out of those holes. Um, the shovel's just not as effective on the way back up. That's really all that's going on in Pac-12 play. Uh, I would, I would hold off on panicking. I think Arizona State's probably right where uh, most people assumed they would be if they were having a, a, a decent third year under Bobby Hurley. They're 16-6 and six right now, 4-6 and six in the Pac-12. The last 10 games haven't been pretty. I think we've seen enough to know over the course of 10 games that this team has real issues. Real issues. I compared them on Twitter to a race car, that if every part's not working, then the whole thing falls apart. This isn't an issue of other teams playing zone defense. This isn't an issue of um, Arizona State needing one player to step up. The truth is, everybody has to be doing what they do, what they specialize in. Otherwise, this just doesn't work. This is a a three-guard experiment with a young big um, with with uh, Cody Justice and, and Mickey Mitchell, um, who have uh, things that they're able to do well and a few things that, that uh, they're not really able to do well. They're not necessarily well-rounded players. They're more specialists. You want Mickey Mitchell in there for his active defense, hustle plays. You want Cody Justice in as an offensive spark. But, you know, these guys are being relied on to play both sides of the court. You saw what Mickey Mitchell is capable of offensively in crunch time last night. Some of the Pac-12 broadcasters were talking about when there's three or four minutes left in the game that maybe Mickey Mitchell shouldn't be in there and, and maybe you shouldn't trust him late. And, you know, on two different occasions in the last, uh, you know, in the closing seconds of the game, uh, Mickey Mitchell just loses the ball and then he actually starts dribbling as the clock runs out when they're down four at the end of the game. It's pretty clear that Mickey Mitchell has a ways to go offensively. It's pretty clear that while Cody Justice is active and I feel like you're getting his best every single night, um, that, you know, there are some strides that need to be made uh, beyond just being uh, an active scorer. You know, they they obviously they have Trey Holder. They have Shannon Evans. You never really know who you're going to have to rely on night after night because they had gotten used to riding the hot hand. But basketball is not always about hot hands. A lot of the time it's just effort, shooting through things, working around uh, screens, getting beat up. 
if you're if you're a shooter and you have to be feeling 100 percent to be knocking down your shots well we're deep in the season now nobody's going to be feeling that great people are going to be beat up they're going to be tired they have responsibilities as students not just basketball players they got a lot to worry about to think about they got they have the pressure of the the winning streak uh now they have the pressure of of not being able to figure out the pac-12 and apparently zone defenses and wondering why you know they're not hitting these 30 footers that were going in prior to conference play you have to develop some type of consistency and identity and it can't all be about streaks and riding the hot hand because on some nights there's just not going to be one so when i say all parts need to be working correctly and in conjunction that includes the coaching staff on knowing when the most effective time to use remy martin is to put him in to pull him out is he a spark plug or is it detrimental to have him come in be super active when you're trying to establish a a, a tempo that might be different than what he provides that's really going to be up to the coaching staff Romello White, should the offense early on, should some of the offense be running through Romello White? He's a fantastic player, and I think it might be time to take some of the training wheels off, get him the ball down low early on, and uh, not depend so much on your shooters. ASU has fallen down in so many games because it's, it's hard to come out and be hot as a shooter because you're not in that in-game situation. The tempo that you practice at isn't the same as you know when the game first gets going and maybe a team throws something new at you. You put a bunch of stuff on film early in the season where teams probably should have beaten you, but you were able to come back. And you allow for all of these Pac-12 teams with highly paid coaching staffs to say, oh, look what Kansas didn't do. Look what Xavier didn't do. Let's just fix those things. Let's tweak those things. These are talented teams, good coaching staffs. And let's be honest, in Arizona State's wins, they're not looking like world beaters. Not at all. And in fact, the entire Pac-12, even the mighty Arizona, is struggling just because of the parity that exists. It's an interesting conference this year. Now... Arizona State has absolutely no excuse to not go out and at least try to beat Washington State by double digits. But who knows? Every game's been close so far. Everything's down to the wire. And that same great feeling that you had when they were uh, erasing deficits and, and, and getting wins prior to conference play is, is not a very good feeling when they're not able to do it in games against Utah and games against Colorado and games against Oregon State and games against Washington. Games that you would assume, based on the early part of the season, if you were only looking at the record, they should have been winning. But the truth is, there were flaws to this team that started 12-0. They let teams hang around. Not only hang around, but they let teams kind of pound them, you know? So, the way that I look at it is the team really needs to figure out what its identity is. When is it time for Trey Holder to have everything running through him? When is it time to have Shannon Evans have everything running through him? 
when is the best time to use Remy Martin? Because he's a fantastic player. But what is he for? When does he come in? What does he do? You look at some of the things that Daquan Lake does out on the court. I mean, and if, if he wasn't constantly drawing fouls in an attempt to be uh, an active defender, you know, you might get a little bit more offensive production out of him. But because you can't necessarily depend on Lake or White or Scheibel to stay on the floor for any length of time, just because they seem to be foul magnets, um, you're never really in a rhythm or set up to depend on any of them. It's getting to the point where if I was a coach and, and I was witnessing, you know, what was kind of going on with Pac-12 refereeing and just with the way that, you know, people react to your bigs attempting to play defense, I'd leave one of those players in until they foul out. <laughs> because, I mean, think about it. I mean, now, again, I'm not a coach and this is probably a ridiculous suggestion, but what would happen if you started Romello White, played him until he had five fouls, and then put in Daquan Lake? Played him until he had five fouls. Because really what it comes down to for me is the team doesn't seem to be able to recover from the inconsistency of who's out on the court and when. You want to be running through your substitutions because it's up to you, not because a referee's call forces a player off the court. And those force adjustments that Arizona State seems to have to be making seem to break up the rhythm of what this team is capable of. Arizona State scoring, gosh, what was it, 64 at Washington? From a team that averaged probably over 90 points in at least the first 10, 11, 12 games of the season. Something is off. Now, when Cody Justice isn't knocking down shots and Shannon Evans isn't knocking down shots and it all sort of falls on Trey Holder's shoulders and he gets double teamed or he gets hit when he tries to drive, then uh, Arizona State's going to struggle. And, I mean, it, it's sure, you can just say, make shots. You need to make shots. But the truth is, Arizona State's probably gotten away with taking quite a few bad shots just because they were going in. Right? I mean, when Arizona State was hot, you were seeing Cody Justice throw up 30-footers. You were seeing Shannon Evans take people off the dribble from 28 feet out. And that's all well and good when it's going in. But when it's not, you kind of look ridiculous and it makes people say, well, maybe they shouldn't be doing that. We've also, um, you know, we got an issue with Kamani Lawrence coming back from injury. Um, you know, since he came back and started getting minutes, uh, this team, I think, is four and five. They're four and five. And, I mean, he's averaging, I'd say, about eight, nine minutes a game. He's only gotten off 17 shots in nine games, so he's not necessarily even in the rhythm of the game. Hasn't hit a three-pointer yet, which for a wing through nine games is not great. Kamani Lawrence has 17 points, 12 rebounds, and doesn't have a single assist in 69 minutes played.
That's not great. They have to find a way to get him involved in a way that's going to keep him engaged because you can't have... I mean, you really, you really can't have him not contribute if he's going to take up minutes. You can't have that. Now, help is on the way, but help has been on the way every single year. Every single year, Arizona State has had people who are transferring and waiting, and you know whether that was uh, Shannon Evans or with Rob Edwards now, Zylan Cheatham. Obviously, Carlton Bragg's off the team, but, you know, they've always had help on the way, but the whole thing is you're also losing a lot of talent at the end of the year. No more Shannon Evans, no more Trey Holder, no more Cody Justice. So there kind of needs to be a sense of urgency if you want to do something with this talented system of, you know, three or four guards. I think you're seeing some improvement in the way that they play defense. I think you're seeing some scrappiness in the way that they try to rebound, even though they're still consistently getting out-rebounded. But I think teams know that if you're going to come at Arizona State, pound the ball inside, draw some fouls on their bigs, play a zone that that keeps the guards on the outside uncomfortable because they're not going to run their offense through the key. So what does Arizona State need to do to turn it around? Best thing that I can think of is to try to run some of their offense through Romello White. Try to get back to getting to the free throw line. Try not to let uh, the refereeing in the Pac-12 distract you and get you emotional. Because I think Arizona State, for for the longest time, was playing with an emotional advantage. And now I think some of the extra, you know, peripheral stuff, whether it be the ranking or refereeing uh, or University of Arizona heating up or whatever it might be, I think that's in their head. You know, and why are they struggling? It's very simple. I think that they weren't necessarily playing the best basketball when they were winning. And when you're winning with flaws in your game... You're less likely to correct those and more likely to open yourself up to having adjustments made by your opponents. They're all saying, what can we do if we get up 15 on this team to not surrender that lead? What adjustments do we need to make? Because obviously they're prone to giving up big leads early. They do it again and again. How do we just not surrender that? How do we not fall victim to the pace that they want to play? How do we muddy things up and keep it ugly? I think that's why this is happening. How do they go about fixing this? Well, again, they're 16-6, and 4-6 and six in Pac-12 play. You need to win games that you're expected to win, and I think that Washington State is one of those games. Work on getting to 500 in conference. Don't look ahead. Don't think about anything else that's going on. Don't think about the fact that you are 12-0. You're in one game at a time must-win territory because everyone else is treating you like a must-win. They don't like that Arizona State was all of a sudden the darling that every single writer wanted to talk about because the writers grew up in an era where Bobby Hurley was king and made them want to be writers in the first place. 
This is a story that people want to write. This is a program that people want to follow. Um, it's an exciting team. And I think all of those outside distractions have have gotten Arizona State to the point where, you know, they feel like they've done it before, so they can probably do it again. No, you're in must-win territory. You need to treat every game like you're not the one with the target on their back. They are. They played the first 12 games of the season like underdogs. They played against University of Arizona like an underdog. Ever since then, they've been expected to win. And they're 4-5 and five in those games. That's a problem. Some good news for Arizona State basketball. Bobby Hurley gets a five-year extension. Um, I mean, this is huge. Arizona State has never really had, I mean, probably basketball or football coach that I can that I can remember off the top of my head that somebody else wanted to come and steal. You know, and so this is I think this is new territory for a lot of Arizona State fans. What do we do about the fact that our coach is probably going to be in demand? Because it's not just about what they're doing on the court, which is impressive. It's not enough. It's not enough, especially with the way this trajectory has gone. You know, if Arizona State was just 16 and 6, I think people would be satisfied. But Arizona State is 16 and 6 after going 12 and 0. So this is a big deal because I think, you know, there are probably plenty of teams out there that all expect to win 20 to 25 games, at least get to the second round of the tournament every year that are constantly in search of the next big coach who can come in and help their program not only win games, but in recruiting. And the drastic improvement in Arizona State's recruiting, um, I mean, and with how quickly it happened, it's almost absurd. It's almost absurd the doors that Bobby Hurley, Rashawn Burno, Anthony Coleman, and the rest of that staff are able to get in. Because, again, we've talked about this before. Bobby Hurley's not walking into anybody's gym, you know, with kids on the court that were alive or, you know, watching him play at Duke or even in Sacramento. You know, he has to hope that the, if his reputation is preceding him, that it's based on a, a you know, a prospect who comes from a home or comes from an environment where people recognize who Bobby Hurley is. So his reputation is not opening as many doors as people might have thought. This guy is dogging it on the recruiting trail. And it's paying off. The turnaround has been absolutely incredible. And that's why Bobby Hurley's worth every penny. Because, I mean, you look at University of Arizona. University of Arizona every year is a giant disappointment giant disappointment because they have a ridiculous amount of talent and they aren't winning the big one. But they're able to get that ridiculous amount of talent in order to then turn around and disappoint their fans. Everybody else in comparison to University of Arizona and the Pac-12 is just, you know, the little engine that could doing what they can with the recruits that they get. Washington was getting some great talent there for a while, but I mean they weren't even making the tournament. So I think 
you look at the fact that Arizona State is improving in their on-court performance and vastly improved in the way that they're recruiting to the point where it's very easy to see Arizona State landing the number two to number three recruiting class in the Pac-12 year in and year out. You know what that means? That means tournament appearances, like consecutive ones. That means potential one-and-done players. That means the more star players that you get on campus, the more star players can see themselves playing for you. That's why he's worth the money. And he's currently getting paid, and you have to understand, Arizona State gave him a shot out of out of Buffalo. It's not like he had accomplished anything. You know, his name means a lot to some people. But the truth is, his resume, it's, you know, it's green. He hasn't done a lot. But the fans are coming out. The recruiting's on the way up. And now he gets a five-year contract that is very, very friendly to Arizona State in that it makes it difficult for him to leave. If you can have Bobby Hurley be on campus beyond this year, if you can get Bobby Hurley to a fifth and sixth year at Arizona State University, you will be absolutely shocked at what the roster looks like by year five and year six. And speaking of that, I went out this week to scout one of Arizona State's newest commits, 2019 guard Jalen House. Jalen House, son of Eddie House, um, which has to be exciting if you're an Arizona State basketball fan or have been an Arizona State basketball fan for maybe more than 10 years. Uh, Eddie House is an incredibly exciting player. His son is not him. They are not the same player at all. All they do not have much in common other than, you know, Jalen House can rack up some points and make you wonder how he how he did it. He's not really a pure shooter. He's not really a pure slasher. He's somebody who creates opportunities for himself to score on the defensive side of the ball. So think of the opposite of Eddie House. Eddie House is somebody who could come in, drop 15 points in a row. Right? Jalen House is somebody who can come in and get three steals on four possessions, leading to three layups. The game that I was at, he had 28 points, four assists, and 10 steals. 28 points, four assists, and 10 steals. And what's crazy about the fact that he had 10 steals? He probably had another 9 to 12 deflections that were nearly steals where he either deflected the ball to one of his teammates who made the steal, or he deflected the ball to a member of the other team and they retained possession, or he knocked the ball out of bounds. He is such an active defender. He's so fast that I think Arizona State fans are... They're going to go wild for this kid. He's exciting. I mean, his gym certainly did. The entire crowd almost got thrown out and police had to come uh, because the the student section rushed the court with 40 seconds left because on Jalen House's 10th steal of the game, he went up for a dunk, his first ever in front of his home crowd. Now that he's, he's a junior, his first ever dunk in front of his home crowd. The students went so crazy that they ran out on the court 
Jalen House got tossed from the game. The crowd and the coach each got a technical. And Buckeye, who they were playing against, got to shoot six free throws as time was expiring. I mean, I think Arizona State fans are going to love this kid. And I'm not sure that Jalen House considers Arizona State without Bobby Hurley there. And I actually talked to him about that. So let's hear a little bit from 2019 Arizona State commit Jalen House. All right, I got Jalen House here uh, in Jerry Connor Gymnasium. Ten steals. You have a dunk there at the end that brings the students out onto the court. Everybody gets teed up. What did that feel like? It felt good. I I didn't get a dunk in front of the home crowd, so I was just trying to get one in front of the home crowd so he could turn up. So that was the first time ever in front of the home crowd? Yeah, that was the first time. I had a dunk last game. So two games, you got back-to-back -back dunks. Yeah. Do, you, do you feel like uh, ever since the um, the commitment, you felt a little bit of pressure fall off your shoulders? You're playing a little looser? No, I, I don't really think that's I don't believe in pressure. So, I mean, uh, this is the first time I've talked to you since you announced for Arizona State. What is it that Bobby Hurley's doing out there that has you excited and that want, you want to be a part of that? I like the way the guards play. They get buckets. They do, they do what they got to do for the team, and that's really it. Does that help seeing somebody like Remy fly all over the court? You kind of see a little bit of yourself in him and be able to uh, maybe fit in that type of role when you get on campus? Yeah, I think so. Uh, I think uh, Remy, Shannon, and uh, Trey are good players, so I think I'm, I'm going to try to model my game after them and try to uh, be better than them. Now, I'm, I mean, I've watched you play for three years. You used to pick and choose your spots, but it feels like now you're taking ownership of everything that's going on out there, defensive side of the ball, offensive side of the ball. Where do you think your biggest improvement is? Um, my biggest improvement, probably my defense. It keeps improving every year. I take pride in my defense, but my shooting's coming along too. And last question, what do you want your you, – so many great players come through Shadow Mountain. What do you want your legacy to be when you leave here? The best player to leave, to ever come out of here. Hey, that's, that's good. Thank you so much. Now, I'm not sure how welcoming you'll be uh, for this next little bit of information, but I did talk to his coach, University of Arizona legend, uh, Mike Bibby, briefly after the game. Um, and I say briefly because uh, I don't – think that he's much for um, media or probably really um, anyone. He's not the warmest individual. But I did manage to get a couple of questions um, off about Jalen House uh, to Mike Bibby. So let's hear from him. Have you seen any pressure come off his shoulders or anything like that since announcing the commitment, or has it just been business as usual? I ask him that. Um, it probably seems like it, yeah. You know, he's playing a little looser, and, you know, he, he's got his cause choice already picked out, so I think I think the pressure might be off him, yeah. Uh, defensively, it seems like it seems like he's able to, to slow the game down a little bit, attack, uh, and put people in situations where they're always off their game. Uh, is that? I mean, what are you doing out at Shadow Mountain, or is that is that just kind of natural for him? Uh, just to play basketball, you know. We put him in situations all the time where you know they play basketball and don't do don't overuse any plays and just just go out there and attack the basket. If somebody comes to you, that means somebody's open. Just play basketball. What do you see in him? Uh, is he is he kind of more of a of a hybrid guard, or do you look at him and see a natural point? Uh, I think he's a scorer. You know, what I mean, I think, but he can, he's, he's capable of passing. I see him. He's a scorer. You know, you get to the basket, get to the free throw line, take shots. He, he, he's more of a scorer, I think. Thank you so much. Mike Bibby is a serious guy. I mean, I think he's more serious about winning at Shadow Mountain. 
you know, than than he was in the, in the NBA. I think he's probably out there on the sideline just thinking about Kobe and Shaq and the Lakers the whole time as he takes Shadow Mountain to championship after championship after championship. He does a good job. I don't think he's the official coach. I think he's the 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 head coach is the coach in name only while while uh, Mike Bibby does his thing out there. I think you have to have a, a college degree, I think, to be an official head coach. But they let him run things out there. He's got all the players out there. And now he's got someone committed to uh, to Arizona State, which is it's definitely an interesting um, interesting dynamic, but Jalen House is a fantastic player, um, and him combined with Kyrie Walker and some of these other guys um, that, that are going to be coming in for Arizona State over the next two to three years, I mean, you're talking about absolute stars. That doesn't mean that they'll perform. I mean, we're seeing with Kamani Lawrence right now. It doesn't mean that you'll come out and blow people away. You still got to earn your way. Rankings don't matter once you're out there on on the court, you know, collegiately. I mean, they matter in that you become an even bigger target and things get harder for you. But the truth is, more often than not, the guys that rivals Eric Bossy, you know, they know what they're doing when they put these rankings together. They see all of these kids. Greg Rosenberg who's an NCAA scout, works for me over uh, at Arizona Varsity. He's seen plenty of Jalen House, plenty of Kyrie Walker, believes both of them will be a star. You know, things happen that you you don't necessarily anticipate. Some things don't work out. Look at Carlton Bragg, you know. Look at some of the other prospects that uh, that Bobby Hurley has has brought in that have moved on. But at the same time, more often than not, these evaluations are close to home. You know, they're not measuring work ethic and heart and things like that all the time, but uh, talent, absolutely. And that's what Arizona State's going to get an abundance of on the court is talent. And it's really up to Bobby Hurley to to instill um, that work ethic that he's known for. So let's move on to football. Uh, Herm Edwards uh, went on ESPN, went on the Golick and Wingo show, and talked about recruiting in a way that seemed, or at least it read, as naive and potentially that he was overwhelmed by his basic duties. as head coach at Arizona State. Now, I didn't share the perspective of most of the national writers who, let's be very honest, you have to, you, in, in order to be able to tell the truth, you have to identify everything that's in front of you. And let, let's be very honest. The hiring of Herm Edwards, according to the national media, is an absolute joke. Now, some people in media are in it for the entertainment value because sports are fun and it gives you something to talk about. And to them, this joke is funny. And they enjoy believing that Herm Edwards will fail miserably and are looking forward to be entertained 
as what happens, what they believe to happen, will unfold. I would say that makes up probably half of the detractors from Herm Edwards being hired. They're entertained by it. They want to see things go down in flames. It makes it more interesting and fun for them. And that's what they're here for. Uh, I think you probably have the other half of the media that believes this this hiring is a joke that are more the guardians and gatekeepers of, of uh, the status quo, which is, you know, this is how you do things. This is the formula for success. Um, therefore, I am not entertained by what Arizona State is doing, but I believe I am calling a spade a spade in saying that this is bad. And should not be done this way. And it almost comes off as they are personally offended by the choices that Arizona State has made because it flies in the face of what they believe the logical path to be for success in college football. Now, I think I've talked about in this podcast before that I'm wary of really anybody who um, thinks, you know, group think even if you have different reasons for thinking that way. If half the population is going to be entertained by the fact that Herm Edwards was hired at ASU and they look forward to it going down in flames, and the other half says it's going to go down in flames and they're almost shaming Arizona State for setting themselves on fire, you're still on the same page. You still say the flames are coming. Now, a lot of the people that are making these criticisms are farther away from the program than people... Uh, who are here um, at, you know, Devil's Digest, AZ Central, things like that, uh, who are actually watching this and witnessing it up close. People who actually have to cover it on a day-to-day basis and report when someone says something good and report when something looks sort of off. And that brings me to these comments. Because while it fits a narrative that Herm Edwards was a ridiculous hire and that he's out of touch, um, I don't I don't necessarily think that this is a big deal. I mean, every single thing that Herm Edwards says and does is going to be dissected. But it's going to be dissected by people who want to find a certain thing. People either want this to be funny or they want it to be bad. And so you're going to look at it through that lens. And that's fine. That's fine. I don't honestly don't care. Because somebody's opinion on whether or not the hire was good uh, doesn't change the fact that he has the job. If people, this, this opinion amongst people within Arizona State wasn't necessarily popular when it was made, if your opinion mattered, then it would actually be able to affect the outcome. The, the reason that people have opinions is because, A, it's fun to have opinions, and B, you there's a business of analyzing. People, I mean, you're listening to this now, right? You want to hear me talk about Arizona State sports? or you want to weigh your opinion of Arizona State sports against mine, or you want information, uh, and you're just waiting for me to give you information and to you know ignore my analysis, that's just kind of filler for you. But there's, there's money and a market in the analysis of each and every move. 
So people are going to have opinions. I don't necessarily care what people's opinions are. Especially being closer to it. Because once you've identified that somebody on the outside thinks a certain thing, and it becomes really clear that they don't have all the details about that certain thing, you tend to tune them out. And so it's really easy for somebody, you know, and I'm definitely not the close, I'm definitely not Hode Rubino. I'm not, you know, I'm not as close to the football program as I could be. I have sources. I read some of the same stuff that you guys do. I pay attention as often as some of you guys do. Some of you guys maybe pay attention even more than me. But when you pay attention, the second that you notice that somebody else has a strong opinion or from a solid platform is giving an opinion, and you realize that they don't even have as much information as you, the consumer, you tend to turn them out or tune them out. And and that brings me to my point. Audiences. People who are saying the Herm Edwards hire is ridiculous and they're saying it from a national platform are saying it to a national audience. Here's why that's important. Because Herm Edwards worked in television for the last eight years. He understands talking to an audience. And those comments he made on ESPN, I'm going to get to those in a minute and read them to you. Those comments that he made were on the Golik and Wingo show. Nobody that listens to that show religiously or even regularly cares about recruiting to the extent that somebody who subscribes to a website like Devil's Digest. They don't necessarily care about Arizona State regionally. They're not spending their time, you know, I bleed maroon and gold, but my mornings are spent listening to Mike Golick. No, this is the vanilla Give me the basics of what's going on in sports, 8 to 10 hottest topics every single day. Family-friendly radio, explain it to me like I'm four years old. This is the same ESPN audience that needs to be told LeBron James is good, like on a daily basis, or they'll forget. And that was the audience that Herm Edwards was talking to. Herm Edwards' job for eight years was to break down complex National Football League situations, schemes, politics, and essentially, like a mother eagle, chew it up and spit it into the mouths of of the baby birds. A national audience isn't taking things from concentrate. This is the devil's junkie podcast. This is for people who are who would consider themselves addicted to information about that school. ESPN is for entertainment. Herm Edwards gets that. And so he goes on this show and he's talking about recruiting, something that never comes up on this show ever. And here's what he says. I'll tell you what now, you're not only recruiting kids, sometimes you're trying to recruit the parent too. That's what's amazing, you have to stay in contact with these kids. I'm calling these kids all the time, making visits, I'm all over the place, and you're asking an 18-year-old kid to come to your university, and a lot of these kids have no idea why they're going to your university. They don't know. They want to be recruited. They want to know how many people are coming to their house, how many head coaches are calling them. It's an amazing deal. Okay, here's the thing. If you think about recruiting for more than five minutes a day, 
and you're on Devil's Digest and you check the forum even once a day, those comments are going to set off alarm bells in your head. Because it's going to make it sound like the head coach of your program knows less about recruiting than you do. But the head coach of your program isn't talking to you. He's talking to the audience of Golik and Wingo. And unless they have kids that are being recruited, they don't know what Herm Edwards is talking about. Not collectively. So it would be interesting for that audience in particular to hear that somebody they used to go to for their NFL information is now calling kids and their parents to try to recruit them to go to school. And that when he meets with these kids, these kids don't know where they want to go to school. They don't know why they want to go to those schools. They don't understand the pitches that they are getting and what their priorities are because they're 16, 17-year-old kids. They just know they want to play football and they want to feel wanted. That's all they know for the most part. And so it I mean if you think about it objectively, it is absolutely absurd. Recruiting is an absurd thing. And I think that when you're in it, you forget just how weird it is. That someone making millions of dollars has to call a teenager and ask them what they want to do with the rest of their life and then try to direct them in some way, shape, or form to resources that kids don't understand how they're going to use, whether or not they want to use. And the truth is, the kid just wants to play football. Maybe. Maybe they want to play football. Maybe they don't. Maybe they're just good at football. And they're being told, you know, hey, what do you want? We can provide it. They have to be told what they want in order for that need to be met by the school. That's why people do official visits. Let me show you all the things you have that you didn't know you needed. Recruiting is like the giant thing that, you know, Apple's big reveal. Every time Apple shows you some new technology, like, oh, I didn't know that my watch needed to also be a phone. Give me one of those. You need to be told what you need in order for this product to be sold. And kids don't know. So that's actually interesting, pertinent information for people who are not necessarily inside the business of recruiting. Essentially, what Herm Edwards did was give a little recruiting for dummies lesson. And then it's up to you to decide who's the dummy. Golik and Wingo's listeners or the head coach of Arizona State University. Did he really sound like he didn't believe that this was his job? Or did he sound like he was answering the question and talking about what his job is to people who wouldn't necessarily have an understanding of the minutia of it? And I'll tell you this. If even 10% of your brain has any reasonable doubt that maybe Herm Edwards isn't a giant idiot, and maybe he's just talking to an audience of people who don't know what he actually does, then I feel like that's enough reasonable doubt to look at the national media who is 100% sure that Herm Edwards is a joke and say, all right, you've had your fun, but like, let's look at this objectively. And part of looking at it objectively... I feel like, is actually talking to the people 
that are involved. So, and I'm, I'm not going to bash on rivals because I work for rivals. That's where my paycheck comes from. But part of the national perspective is actually being shaped by some people who are inside of uh, recruiting and really, really close to the situation. And Mike Farrell, uh, who is the, the lead recruiting analyst for Rivals, does a really good job of evaluating players and is very, very close to a lot of situations, has made up his mind that this is bad. That this was a bad hire. And now, I have been very critical of this hire. I've been very critical of this hire. So, um, you know, uh, far be it from me to criticize anybody who uh, says that that this is bad. But on DevilsDigest.com, they did a a feature called Take Two, where where, um, Hoderbino was able to share his perspective, which was very detailed, in why this hire may or or may not work, but why the comments on ESPN were probably overblown. And then Mike Farrell came in with a few sentences on his essential rebuttal, was just like, he has no idea what he's doing. And this is a bad hire. And again, that leaves people like me to go out and find out whether or not that's true. Does Herm Edwards have any strategy? Does he know what he's doing? Is he a joke to the recruits? Because that's all that matters. That's all that matters. 99.9% of the population could think that Herm Edwards is an idiot. But if the 0.1 are high-level recruits, doesn't matter. Look at Bobby Petrino. Bobby Petrino has been faithless to almost everyone who has hired him. He crashed a motorcycle with his mistress, a school employee, on the back and tried to cover it up. And that guy still gets kids. Lane Kiffin was fired on a tarmac, yelled at by Nick Saban and made out to be a joke, goes to Florida Atlantic, still gets kids. Todd Graham was the, I think Rolling Stone magazine called Todd Graham the most hated coach in the country. After what happened with Pitt and leaving for Arizona State and just how he had rubbed some people the wrong way in his tenure at Tulsa and Rice and and Pitt. What happened to Arizona State's recruiting after Todd Graham got here? Did it get better or worse? Because the numbers show that it got objectively better. You don't need for people to like you or to think that you'll do a good job. You don't even need a track record of being a decent human being, Bobby Petrino's case, to get kids. So the narrative out there, even with some of the experts, is you can be a nice guy, but if you don't get it, you don't get it. So here's what I do. I call the recruits that he talks to, and I ask them how they feel about him. And it really depends on how you feel about my credibility, whether or not you take me relaying that information to you to heart or not. There are a lot of people who think that I'm a shill for the local recruits because I cover local athletics outside of covering Arizona State sports. That's fine. 
I mean, I could say that I'm not, but if you have your mind made up, what's the point? So instead, how about you hear from a couple of local kids yourself? You hear from them, you can make a judgment. So, uh, I would actually like to uh, to bring in uh, Connor Soley, younger brother of Kyle Soley, grew up an Arizona State fan, is being recruited by um, by Arizona State, and Jacob Conover, a sort of almost <laughs> longtime critic of of of, of Arizona State's uh, recruiting. Um, you know, of him and maybe at Chandler High, who who through the transition and getting to meet Herm Edwards has had a little bit of a a change of heart. These are two guys that Arizona State is after. These are two guys that have met from Herm Edwards. So let's hear from them. First up, Connor Soley, Saguaro High School. Our guest on this week's Devil's Junkie podcast is none other than Connor Soley, younger brother of Kyle Soley and Arizona State Sun Devil. And from my understanding, uh, a lifelong Sun Devil fan. Is that true? Yes, sir, that is. So uh, I, I remember reading and even talking to Kyle, uh, your brother, who, who is at Arizona State, um, played a, a little bit as a freshman last year uh, about uh, going to games and, and things like that. Is, is that something you, uh, you spent your childhood doing as well, uh, hitting up Sun Devil Stadium on Saturdays? Um, yeah, definitely. Um, my grandpa, he has always been a season ticket holder, so... As kids, he was always he would always take um, Kyle and I to the games, and we just grew up watching ASU football and loving ASU football, and just like dreaming of the possibility to eventually play for ASU. So, what's your favorite Sun Devil Stadium memory? Definitely when uh, they beat Notre Dame back when they first uh, brought out the Desert Field uniforms. I can't remember the exact year, but. Yeah, that, I mean that that wasn't too long ago, but that was definitely didn't they put up like sixty some points? Yeah, something like that. I remember. I'm pretty sure it was Demarius Randall got like a game winning pick six or something like that. But that was definitely my favorite um, Sun Devil football memory. That is cool to hear. I I uh, I've I grew up uh, I grew up a Wyoming football fan, but I went to Arizona State and and probably had season tickets for six years before I started covering. Uh, ASU and and I I'll always remember ASU beating Cal when Cal had Deshaun Jackson and that was that was probably the wildest I I remember the stadium being up until uh, that Notre Dame game that was that was pretty wild as well so yeah uh, you just recently got your first offer from Arizona State how'd that feel it felt amazing just because. Getting that first offer is always the hardest, and it just feels like all the hard work that you put in just is finally paying off. Walk me through how that how that offer came across. Just you know, what were you doing? Who you talked to? And, and your immediate reaction? Just take us through that. So, if you had come and visited Saguaro, the high school that I go to, and talked to our coach Jason Mons about me about playing a potential like tailman position, which is like a safety linebacker hybrid and um they talked to him and they said that they really liked me there so like i knew they liked me I, I knew they were interested in me but i wasn't really expecting an offer and then like i think it was it was a thursday and i had just gotten home from like a little receiving practice and my brother he texts me and he's like yeah um i'm gonna send you coach Yanis's number you gotta call him 
So I called Coach Yanis, and he was talking to me a little bit. And he's like, I got Coach Edwards here, and he wants to say a couple words to you. And he gave the phone to Coach Edwards, and Coach Edwards talked to me about potentially being able to play football with my brother at ASU and how I thought about that. And I was like, that sounds amazing. He's like, all right, well, we're going to go ahead and give you an offer. Wow. Wow. I mean, so who was the first? Did you did you, uh, did you, you text Kyle back right away? Did you tell your parents? How, how did you handle that whole situation? Yeah, so the first thing I did, obviously, was tell my parents. And then I made a couple phone calls to some family members, like my brother and my grandma and stuff, and my grandpa, of course, because he's such a big ACU fan. That is, oh, man, that sounds wild. So, I mean, what's your impression of, of Herm Edwards? Because I keep hearing the same thing from every single person I talk to, and I'm just waiting for some variation on, on this, and it's this is the same guy uh, that that you watched on TV for 10 years. It, he's no different in person. He's just consistently Herm Edwards. Everything you've seen is everything you get. Yeah, I mean, Coach Edwards is definitely a very energetic guy. You can tell he's really excited to be down there at ASU. And I don't know, you can just tell he's really excited. You can tell he loves football and he just loves to win, so... So you are, I mean, you're constantly surrounded by serious, serious talent at Saguaro, whether it was when you're playing as a sophomore and you guys won a state title, you had uh, like six or seven guys go D1, you had a really young team last year and you won another state title, but you had a bunch of guys getting Division One offers and then obviously the last month, uh, whether it's your Arizona State offer or, I mean, there not there four other guys just in the defensive backfield that are all getting major offers as well. What's it like to be surrounded by such high-level uh, young talent all the time? Does it push you? Um, I mean, just what, how does it affect you? Yeah, it definitely motivates me to, like, just keep working harder. We always push each other to, like, get better. You know, iron sharpens iron, so in practice we're always practicing against each other, giving each other really good looks. Um, I don't know. It's just it's nice to be around kids that are really good at football and just love the game and just want to play football at the next level just like me. Well, speaking of being around kids who are really good at football, Saturday you took a trip to Arizona State and you were surrounded by some pretty special talent. Um, tell me a little bit about your day on Saturday. Yeah, so um, Saturday we there was a couple of us class of 2019 kids like Jacob Conover and Ty Robinson and we just went down and we got to meet all the coaches and go and tour all the facilities and I don't know it was a lot of fun got to like meet all my coaches and really talk to them about like my future if I did want to go to ASU and like I don't know it was just a lot of fun so I heard a little bit about you know that that Herm Edwards came out uh, spoke to everybody and and gave kind of a little bit of a motivational speech. And one of the things that he he said to the players was, uh, you know, make sure you use football. Don't let football use you. Uh, what what does something like that mean to you? Um, I think he just really means like you guys are in. You guys have this opportunity. Um, don't just make football everything for you. You got to get a degree. You got to do good in school. So just focus on that too. Don't make everything about football, but you know. And then so I took away from it. So you're there, I mean, you're there obviously with other other players that are um 
pretty highly uh, regarded in the 2019 class. You're at Saguaro, you know, you're you're getting an offer, and you're surrounded by all these other players that are getting offers that that you know, and, and you're hanging with them. You know, is the, does there come a point when you know you kind of you you kind of realize uh, or it hits you like, no, I'm one of these guys. I'm I'm not, you know, I'm I'm not surprised I got my first offer. I'm hanging with. Uh, with with all of these highly regarded guys at ASU, I'm I'm on the field getting reps, you know, surrounded by guys who have offers from all over the country at Saguaro. Has it hit you yet that you can play at this high level? Um, yeah, just this past year it did. You know, getting to Saguaro and not really playing that much my sophomore year was kind of like, am I really like, am I good enough? You just gotta trust the process. You just keep grinding, keep getting better each and every day, and then eventually your time will come. So it just feels really good, just knowing I'm really. A Division One guy it's made me a lot more confident. Well, and what is what is Saguaro done for you? Just I mean, you have you have a wealth of knowledge from coaches who have a ton of experience. Uh, what are some of the ways that you feel like your game has improved just from being at Saguaro? Um, just you know, going against other Division One guys in practice. Like every day, I'm just playing against somebody that's a Division One talent, and it just boosts my game that much more. So getting better each and every day from those guys helps a lot. When you were watching your brother the summer before, you know, the summer before he actually played at uh, at Saguaro, coming from Notre Dame Prep, you watched him go from like 0 to 17 offers in just a couple of months. What was that like, just as a younger brother, watching your brother's recruiting take off? It felt good because, you know, like he made it, he finally did it. He had worked so hard and he wasn't really getting that much exposure at Notre Dame and like everyone in my family kind of knew and felt that he was a Division One potential player, so I don't know. I, f- I felt good for him. I was happy for him. I could tell he was really happy, and I think he made the right choice going to ASU. He loves it there. So, and now you know there might be some people thinking, "Oh, the, well, this is a wrap." Then Kyle Soley is at Arizona State. Connor Soley's grandfather was taking him to games. He's got a favorite memory at Sun Devil Stadium. But obviously, you probably still owe it to yourself to to go through the entire recruiting process. How hard is it? Because, I mean, I, I talk to high school football players all day, every day, and not a lot of them actually grew up fans of teams. Players, absolutely. But they were almost sort of trained to, to be, you know, from a young age, if you want to be a college football player, model yourself after certain players but don't have any specific allegiance to a team, you know, for any number of reasons. What's it like growing up being a fan of a team, having an offer from that team, and knowing that you still kind of have to play the process out to make sure you're doing what's best for you? Um, It's kind of tough because, like, once you get that offer, it's like, you know, this is somewhere that I could actually see myself going to because – I've lived in Arizona my entire life, so like it would be an easy transition. And I mean, I love the school; it's a great school. The football's great, but I think uh, like I'm definitely gonna go through this recruiting process a little bit. I'll, I think I'm definitely gonna be re- committing before my senior season. So like after spring ball, I'll definitely be narrowing it down a little bit because that's when a lot of my recruiting attention like will be. So I don't know. ASU is definitely like one of the top schools on my list just because. You know, it's just Arizona State. So, so Arizona State was that really was that kind of the first domino, or have you been talking to coaches for for a while? Just you know, the, because coaches are obviously always coming through Saguaro. Do you have people kind of reaching out to you, kicking the tires and and feeling things out, and 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 uh, talking to you about a possible offer down the road? 
Yeah, I've been talking to a couple different schools, like, just because there's so many schools that come through Saguaro, like, every day. So, I've definitely talked to other schools, but ASU is definitely focused on me more than any other school that's talked to me, so... And I guess my last question is this, as somebody who actually, you know, observes ASU uh, and has done so for a long time, even before your brother played there, who do you expect to break out this year? Who are you looking to have a big year uh, for Arizona State, either on offense or defense? Um, I think Nikhil Harry is going to have a really big year this year. Could you, if, if the ball's in the air, if the ball's in the air and you're coming over from a safety position... Is there any chance you're coming down with it? You think you could take him? Ooh, I don't know about that. Nick Harry's a future NFL player, so I don't know about that. <laughs> I appreciate the honesty, man. So this is Connor Soli, Saguaro, 2019 athlete. Uh, they're talking to him about playing a hybrid safety linebacker position. His brother's at Arizona State. He's going to feel out his recruiting. I really appreciate you being on the Devil's Junkie podcast. And, uh, yeah, just thank you. Yeah, thank you. Enjoy, enjoy being here. So you heard from Connor Soli. He's been an Arizona State fan. He's probably not going to say anything critical of, of, of Arizona State. But I feel like he can be honest with you and what his impression was of the staff that's on campus, especially with having an older brother who played for the previous staff. And to complement that interview, I want to talk to Jacob Conover, Chandler High quarterback, who wasn't recruited by the previous staff, who looked at that uh, roster and saw six scholarship quarterbacks and said, you know, that's probably not for me, you know. And and then as things opened up a little bit and Herm Edwards came in and he got to know Rob Likens, you can see his perspective on Arizona State and the possibility of being around start to change. So let's hear from Jacob Conover. Okay, so I have Chandler quarterback Jacob Conover, two-time state championship, two-time consecutive state champion Jacob Conover of Chandler High. How you doing, Jacob? I'm doing great. How are you? Not bad, not bad. So I just want to get right into it. The The subject of this part uh, of the podcast is we're talking about the national narrative um, that Herm Edwards doesn't really know what he's doing. He's been out of the game too long, doesn't know how to recruit. Um, and I just want to run by that by somebody who was just uh, just on campus uh, who seems to have a different opinion. Tell me a little bit about your impression of Herm Edwards and this coaching staff. And, and I mean, you're re- being recruited by all sorts of schools. Uh, let me know what, what, what you think of their ability to recruit in comparison to maybe some other schools. You know, I think they're, whole, they're turning it all around from what ASU once was. Um, Herm and his staff bring this new energy that I haven't really seen before. And I think a lot of the Arizona recruits are getting excited about what's to come with this new devil nation. And, um, when we were there, one thing that really stuck out to me was he said, um, I'm a man who lives by his words and his actions and they match up. And, you know, that kind of stuck out to me and not only to the players, but the parents as well. If you can get them both on board, I mean, you can change your program in, in a year. And I think he's striving to make a change of what ASC once was. Now, 
the future. We're seeing Arizona State get out to all these high schools, and I know you know you had you had been at Chandler, and I had heard from a few coaches that you know there there wasn't as much of a presence from Arizona State. Had heard it from a few other coaches around the state as well, but now you're seeing pictures from all these different high schools pop up on social media with Herm Edwards out of the schools. Uh, do you think that that has an impact? The coaches having a presence on the high school campuses. Oh, no doubt. He's making it uh, a direct. I mean, he's doing it himself. He's taken the initiative to go out and change the face of his program. He wants to see the change, and he's he's doing it himself along with the other coaches. But I think it's so important that he's going out to find the players that he wants uh, to play for him. Now, you and I have had lots of conversations just, you know, uh, over the, the couple of years of watching you. You came out here from Oregon. You've had a lot of success at Chandler. Um, and, you know, we've talked about ASU's roster, and at one point they had six scholarship quarterbacks with no seniors. And, you know, we had talked about, you know, w- would you be receptive to, to a situation like that? And you, you were pretty honest saying, like, hey, that's like the most crowded in the country, so probably not. Um, you know, and th- things have opened up a little bit out there, and obviously not only are they showing interest, uh, they offered you. And, and um, I guess I, I'd ask, you know, how kind of your perspective on Arizona State uh, has shifted. You know, yeah, that uh, you know, definitely with with quarterbacks opening up. I mean, it opens up a whole new spectrum of decisions that can be made. And um, you know, when they say that we're going to offer, I mean, they said it was sincere. And they, when we offer a guy, we obviously want them to come play for us. And with the situation they have now, I mean, they're they're looking at a guy to come in and play right away. And they're like, we want you to be that guy. And I think that was really important that they are trying to find. Not only guys like, hey, yeah, you know, you're going to sit a year or two and then come into play. They want guys that can come and make an impact right away and change the face of the program. And um, and the coaches, the coaches don't beat around the bush. They attack it with full force, and and um, I think it impacts the decisions of the players they're recruiting, and it really gets them hooked. Now, uh, you you're in a situation where. Um you know, you've heard from a lot of different coaches, position coaches, head coaches, and you had a chance to sit down with Rob Likens, the offensive coordinator. Now, that strikes me as a guy that you would probably get along with, just knowing your personality and his. Uh, what's your take on Rob Likens? You know, uh, Coach Likens is a great guy, and not only that, but a great coach. Um, he brings energy to his offense. They got me excited about it. We, we sat down and talked for like a half hour, on what changes were going to be made, and you know he was really personal in what breaking down film of what he liked about me and about the other quarterbacks. And um, he wants a system that's quarterback friendly and can have the quarterback take control and manage his offense to the best of his ability. And you know, Coach Likens, when you can when you can create energy by just talking about an offense and change, um, you know that's something special about a coach. And he does a really good job of connecting with his players, and that really stood out to me. Now, you are uh, an active member of the LDS Church, and you you and I have talked about this a little bit, that you, um, you know, you plan on graduating from high school early, uh, you know, and people are curious about how the whole mission thing uh, works and it's actually rare for a college to know your plans uh, and then to s- still offer you. Um, 
you know, especially if, you know, you could end up being a 2021 kid instead of a 2019 kid. But you were you were up front and you were honest with Arizona State about, you know, your current intentions and your plans. And they seem to be receptive to that and extended you an offer anyway. Um, you know, what is what does that mean to you um, just in, in being able to be open with them and having them be receptive? You know, that kind of shows me that they were sincere and they, they really meant their offer. Um, because, you know, with, I mean, early in the process, if a school didn't ask about my mission, I wasn't going to talk about it. Not that I was hiding it, but not necessarily something I needed to bring up. And with ASU, you know, they were, they were, they, they were open about it. They're like, hey, so are you planning on going to mission? So what's, what's the deal? I was like, yeah, you know, I'm going to go on my mission. But I mean, I told them I've, I've had this plan my, my whole life and I know I was going to graduate early. And so I could go on my two-year mission and then also come back early for spring ball. And when I was able to show them a plan that I had, I mean, they respected it and they were open. They weren't, they didn't show really any sign of concern. And obviously they didn't when they offered me. And I know, you know, you, you haven't been in Arizona long, but you've been in Arizona for some really important, um, impactful years. And you've had a chance to do some really great things on the football field. Uh, and, and you really haven't thought too much about what it would mean to, to stick around in the state of Arizona and play college football because, you, you know, you haven't really had that opportunity to have those thoughts. You know, now that it could potentially be a possibility, um, what excites you about that? You know, it, it's, uh, it's kind of neat being able to maybe even be a hometown hero um, because with the change ACs making, you know, a lot of the local Arizona guys all know each other. I mean, we could continue playing with each other uh, even through high school into college, and you know, that's pretty exciting. You, you have your hometown coming to cheer for you. You've got your family. I know playing for family is so important for so many people, and with the opportunity to represent your state playing for Arizona State, I mean, that's something special and unique, and you don't get a lot of opportunities to do all right. Well, thank you so much, Jacob. I appreciate your time, and we look forward to tracking you through uh, through your decision and, and and through this upcoming season, trying to three-peat at Chandler. Awesome. Thank you for having me. So is that enough? Is it enough to hear from recruit after recruit after recruit that they actually really like the energy that Herm Edwards is bringing to the program? That's up to you. I'm not going to tell you how to think. I'm just going to present the information and you can do with it what you want. But I will tell you this. I got an email. Somebody who, uh, who, read, uh, who read that um, back and forth from, from Hode Rubino and Mike Farrell at, at Rivals. And they just wanted to say, you know, our experience was different. In that, you know, Mike Farrell said, Herm Edwards has no idea what he's doing. And again... Not bashing Mike Farrell. I work under Mike Farrell. I get to see the way that he evaluates recruits. I absolutely respect his work. Absolutely respect his work. But when somebody makes an absolute observation and you have the ability to go out and go straight to the source and ask the kids, you know, how do you feel about this? And now the kids might not necessarily be a dependable uh, source because they're being offered retail value, a couple hundred thousand dollars to go to school, room, board, etc. You know, are they going to talk bad about somebody? 
that's a question you have to answer. You know, you kind of get to the point where can I trust anybody anywhere about anything? All I can do is give you the information. But I got this email from a father of a, of a talented 2020 recruit who, who read the comments about Herm Edwards not having any idea what he was doing and not necessarily being connected uh, to recruits or not knowing how to connect to recruits. And this is the email they sent me. Again, this is the father of a 2020 recruit who's going to have you know, well over 10 offers um, probably going into his senior year here in a year or so. Um, already has major, major offers, so I want to point that out. Uh, our experience was different than this. Our son called Donnie Yantis, and Donnie said Herm Edwards wants to talk to you. He got on the phone and asked him to stay in touch with them weekly, asked him to come down and spend some quality time with him, him being Herm Edwards, told him to remember where you were from and reminded him that we're going to be bugging you. Also told him to call his position coach. Our son called Donnie Yantis yesterday, and he invited him to the junior day, even though he's a sophomore. Our son said they all have been great and Herm Edwards was a super guy. It seemed positive to me. I'm just saying. Now, I also talked to the high school coaches who, you know, had some complaints about the way that their schools had been um, potentially uh, forgotten over time. And this is the thing with, with high school coaches, especially local high school coaches. You can go out and you can visit them and then you can check that box and say, oh, I've been out to see your school. But it's about maintenance. Maintenance is the most important thing in relationships. And, I, you know, I get a lot of people on the devilsdigest.com boards. P.S. Subscribe to Devil's Digest. You absolutely need to. It's the best place to be uh, if you want information on Arizona State recruiting um, and just all the information around the program. Great writers, great people, awesome board. Uh, but on the board, I, you know, I'll get some criticism because I'll bring comments from the high school coaches to the board. And they'll say, oh, these guys just complain. There's a double standard for recruiting. They all just want their guys to be seen and heard. And yes, I agree. Everybody is a lobbyist for their own self-interest. Absolutely. Absolutely. But we're talking about coaches that get paid hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not mil millions of dollars. And if part of your job is to just have a good relationship with the people around you, and you're getting paid millions of dollars to do it, why not just do it? What is your excuse? What is your excuse for not doing that part of your job? At some point, you can blame these high school coaches for having those feelings, but those feelings are real to them. What are you going to do about it? It would behoove you or be much better for you if you were a high school coach. Or if you were a college coach, it would behoove you if you were a college coach to, to be able to have a decent relationship with the high school coaches around you, even if their expectations are ridiculous, even if they whine or they complain, it would be better for you to have a better relationship with them, would it not? To shoot them a text message, a mass text every once in a while, hey, how are you? Do you have any players? Do you have any questions for me? Take an extra five minutes out of, yes, an already busy day just to maybe on a rotation, check in with some people. What is the downside? Why let that slip? Why not maintain that? There isn't a downside. There's not. So what? Ultimately, you don't take somebody's kid because you don't think they're good enough? Well, hey. That just comes with being honest. Honesty is the best thing that you can have in a relationship. 
But you can't be honest with somebody if you're not even talking to them. If you let somebody wonder what the problem is, their imagination is going to go crazy. So if you're at one of these high schools and you have a guy that, you know, somebody from 2,000 miles away is coming to see three different times every time there's not a dead period, and you have local Arizona State coaches that haven't even been by your school in two years. Your imagination is going to run wild. You get paid a ton of money, and part of your job is to cultivate relationships with the local colleges. And that part of your job was self-designated. It's not even expected by anybody else. You're the one saying that you wanted to build a fence locally. Now, maybe you should never have said you're going to build a fence, because that implies that you're going to keep people home, and whether or not somebody's worthy of being kept home is subjective. No one's ever going to be fully happy, but they can feel heard, and you get paid a lot. Why not at least let them feel heard? And that's what Herm Edwards is doing in his time here. Herm Edwards is on his third or fourth round, as I'm recording this podcast, of going to local schools. He was at Higley High School today. He's been at Chandler High. He's been at Saguaro. The coaches hit 60 schools right out of the gate and then have taken time every week to go and meet with coaches. Donnie Yantis, I think, was at schools like Cesar Chavez, big schools that who knows if they have an athlete there or not. I couldn't even tell you. It's my job to know, and I couldn't even tell you. And he's out there. So, why let those relationships slip if you don't have to? And there are a lot of people on the board that are just unhappy with other people being unhappy, and they feel like there's double standards, and that coaches are whiny and that they complain. And I understand all that. And, and as people are especially sick of not landing these high-profile recruits because it's just nice to leave home. Well, guess what? That happens in Texas, too. The state of Texas has like 10 times the amount of in-state schools that Arizona does. And they can't get any of their top 20 kids to stay home either every single year. That's just part of it. But what you can control is your relationships with the high school coaches. And those relationships are about maintenance. Period. They're just about maintenance. Develop a relationship with them the way that you would develop a relationship with a recruit. And the thing that I like about this new Arizona State staff is that they have people who were recently high school coaches on the staff. Because I think over time you forget. Obviously Todd Graham was a high school coach, but not in the modern era of recruiting. Not like Antonio Pierce, who was at Long Beach Poly and had six or seven college coaches show up at his school every single week. He knows. He knows when college coaches come in and they're full of it. He knows when they come in and they actually want a prospect. If you do anything, and you, I mean, if you haven't already done this, that, that's absolutely insane. But if you do anything, you need to listen to Antonio Pierce's interview with Brad Denny for his Speak of the Devils series that, that's going on right now. Listen to a high school coach who is now a college coach who played in the NFL talk openly and honestly about having relationships with high school coaches. Listen to what he says the feedback from the local high school coaches were. Listen to how he says that recruiting should be attacked. Listen to how he says you should be open and honest with the kids and tell them, I'm not going to offer you, or I might if you do this. 
but you have to be honest, and listen to him talk about the fact that everybody has to be all in on any given prospect. The entire staff. It can't just be compartmentalized. Think back a couple years ago when Delvon Alexander was moved from wide receivers coach to tight ends coach. And he was recruiting Jared Poplowski from Saguaro High School. And then Delvon Alexander took the job at Notre Dame. Guess who picked up the slack recruiting Jared Poplowski? Nobody. Because the staff wasn't all in on that single prospect. Everything was compartmentalized. What Antonio Pierce wants to bring to the table is he wants everybody, once they decide a prospect is worthy of getting an offer, he wants the school to be recruiting them. Multiple coaches. Everybody to be excited about that athlete. That's a culture that they're trying to develop over there. That if a coach gets lost to another opportunity, which as an Arizona State fan you should know, happens about every five seconds, especially if Auburn has a job open up. If you have six or seven other coaches who've established a relationship with that recruit, and like Antonio Pierce says, if that recruit knows that they're wanted, and not just being recruited, but that they're wanted, you might not lose that recruit. Do yourself a favor. Pull up that interview, listen to it. The other ones are fantastic so far. The one with Danny Gonzalez is absolutely great. The one with Rob Likens will make you want to run through uh, a brick wall. That guy has too much energy, but just do yourself a favor. Listen to that and listen to somebody who understands what it's like to be a high school coach with lots of athletes that are highly sought after. Talk about how college coaches should go about uh, developing their relationship with both high school recruits and high school coaches. Listen to his honesty. It's important. So last thing I want to get into is Arizona State dropped a player, Hunter McGinnis, uh, from Hamilton High School recently. And uh, we had a little bit of a back and forth on Devil's Digest board, which is always fun, uh, on on whether or not this should have happened, shouldn't have happened, if it's a good thing and why. Um, here's the deal. Recruiting is a dirty, cold business. It absolutely is a business. Uh, it's not allowed to be a business for the players, but it's definitely a business for the people who are getting paid to do it, and they want the best available players. Hunter McGinnis did not sign on signing day, on early signing day. Arizona State thinks they can do better than Hunter McGinnis, and they moved on. So, that should be the end of it. There shouldn't be any emotion involved in that. But, because he's a local recruit... And people believe that, you know, Arizona State needs to do better with local recruits and develop better relationships. Uh, emotion does get involved. And because people forget that this is a 17-year-old kid and it's just the Twitter and message board mentality of being anonymous, not being face-to-face -face in the same room with him and saying things that you probably never would in his presence, especially considering that while he is a kid and you don't treat kids that way, he's also a six foot six, three twenty kid who could probably crush you like a Coke can. You know, that might change the way that you approach this a little bit. But ASU wanted to do better at that position, and because he allowed them the opportunity to, they moved on. Now, the story that I got was that they told him that it in part had to do with his disloyalty to his commitment. Now, my personal opinion is that never needed to be conveyed or said in any way, shape, or form. All that needs to be said is, you didn't sign and we think we can do better. We'll help you out if we can. The end. That's it. You don't need to make it feel like it's Hunter McGinnis' fault for doing you a favor. He did you a favor. You think you can do better. 
And if you think you can do better, and you do better, then because he didn't sign, you actually got something beneficial from him, correct? You should be thanking him. Emotion doesn't need to be involved in this from really any party other than the kid who is completely devastated by the fact that he took a gamble and it didn't work out. Hunter McGinnis isn't a bad kid. He's not a thug. He didn't do anything wrong. There, are, there is no moral issue here. None. None whatsoever. You might not like what he did, but your opinion matters as much as mine. And if it in any way could disparage him, it's probably something you should keep to yourself. But because it's an emotionally charged issue for no reason, people's emotions came out. Now, it is simple. A player that Arizona State thought they could do better than, who was not signed, did not get to sign because they think they can do better. That's it. I wish that that had been conveyed to Hunter McGinnis in a, in a way um, you know, he was never not going to be emotional about it. He absolutely wants to be a Sun Devil. Uh, I wish it had been conveyed in a way that said, like, hey, we think we can do better. You didn't sign. These are the consequences. Uh, we're sorry. You know, if you feel this way, we'll help you out. The end. Um, but to say, oh, you know, you visited UCLA. You should know that hurt our feelings um, in any way, shape, or form. No. Grown men's feelings did not get hurt. And if they did, they need to grow stronger feelings. Period. So if it sounds like I'm being critical of ASU right now, if there's something to be critical of, sure. If that didn't happen, then no. But ultimately, this isn't as big of a deal as people want to make it out to be. I was defensive of the kid because he's a kid. I also think it was the right move for Arizona State. You can think two things that seem to be diametrically opposed. They're not. I wish it didn't happen at the same time. If Arizona State thinks they can do better and they do better, good for them, right? So that's that. But I do want to address the one thing that some people were saying, that Arizona State's never going to get a recruit from Hamilton again. And, you know, while there were some definitely some talented kids at Hamilton who um, kind of made it evident that it would affect and color their perspective of Arizona State, kids are young. Uh, high school is long. <laughs> when you're in it, when you're in the middle of it, people tend to forget things. But I think the, the thing that was conveyed is, you know, good luck ever dealing with Hamilton again. First of all, Hamilton's bringing in a new coach. He's going to want to have a good relationship with Arizona State. I've talked to him, so don't worry about that. Second of all, what's the first offensive lineman that Arizona State got on board after Hunter McGinnis uh, was, was jettisoned? Casey Tucker, offensive line from Hamilton High School. So it, it, it doesn't work the way that you, you think it might. Um, people are, like I said, are lobbyists for their own self-interest. Your emotions, even though you feel like, hey, like I'm Team Hunter, I hope Hamilton never sends a kid their way ever again, or I'm Team ASU, and if Hamilton wants to be that way, don't recruit over there anyway. None of that's going to happen at all. ASU is going to go after the players that it thinks it needs, and Hamilton's players are going to do what they think is best for them. Uh, regardless of anybody's emotions surrounding this situation right now. So, again, felt like a big deal at the time to the people that it was most pertinent to, which is Hunter McGinnis, his family, and zero other people. But ultimately, in the long run, Hunter McGinnis is going to get a scholarship. He's going to go play O-line somewhere. He's going to get an opportunity to prove himself. And ultimately, you know, if he shows ASU up, then, you know, all the better for him. But he'll have his opportunities. He's not going to think about this as much as maybe some other people. 
So anyway, just wanted to address that situation and say, it's not a big deal, even though maybe it felt like it at the time. There's no reason to disparage the kid. There's no reason to be permanently upset at the school. This is recruiting. This is how things go. So let's close out this episode of the Devil's Junkie Podcast. This is something I'm going to be doing uh, over time until either Herm Edwards or Kevin Sumlin is no longer employed uh, by their university. But let's go to the Sumlin versus Edwards scorecard. So, um, you know, when Rich Rod and Todd Graham came in at the same time, had I been doing this podcast, I would have had so much fun just weighing their accomplishments against each other because the rivalry is absolutely fantastic. And and I think especially now we're already seeing, you know, these are, these are two guys that, uh, that seem to get along, have nothing against each other, but we're already seeing the seeds of that rivalry color some of the interactions and some of the things surrounding them. So, um, each week, I'm going to keep a scorecard and just over time and uh, and try to be as objective as possible about it. But in, in the first edition of the Sumlin versus Edwards scorecard, um, I'm just going to give a point to whoever I feel like has the advantage in any given area. So uh, I want to start out with the press conference. Uh, Herm Edwards' press conference at Arizona State was eventful. I mean, that was something else, right? Especially the uh, nice publicity he gave to Devil's Digest in joking in a way that that made it seem like he didn't know what the mascot was. Um, He got panned in the media nationally and people laughed at him and, hey, it was great for us at Devil's Digest. That was fantastic for us. But at the same time, um, (laughs) I I would say that it overall didn't seem like it went well. Uh, You know, people are making fun of Kevin Sumlin for calling his quarterback uh, Khalil Mack instead of Khalil Tate. Well, Herm Edwards at his introductory press conference uh, called Darren Woodson Rod Woodson. So um, I would say that as far as the press conferences go, Kevin Sumlin had a very, and I used this word on Twitter and I got panned for it, but he had a very sober, very thoughtful way of going about his responses. Um, he, he really, really made it seem like this was, um, a really well thought out process of, you know, Arizona state picking him as the head coach and the things that he was going to accomplish. He came across really, really well. So I'm going to go ahead and give a point to university of Arizona and Kevin Sumlin for the press conference. Um, now, uh, Issue number two, uh, the way the media has reacted. I got to give a point to Kevin Sumlin, University of Arizona here, uh, because everyone is talking about how this is the best hire on the planet. Now, is it? I think on the last podcast, I gave plenty of reasons why I don't necessarily believe that this hire was in University of Arizona's best interest. I don't think it was the best that they possibly could have done, and there are a ton of red flags. But at the same time, Uh, The national media, the people who aren't necessarily into the nitty-gritty, they love it. They think that Arizona hit an absolute home run, especially coming out of a scandal or two, as we learn more about the way that Orlando Bradford's uh, treatment of women um, was potentially ignored over over a long period of time uh, over the last couple of years. Um, You know, this was just a a PR win for University of Arizona. They got a guy who has averaged a top 10 recruiting class over the last four years. He got, uh, you know, guys like Demetrius Martin to come in on his staff and Noel Mazzoni, who, you know, Arizona State fans have plenty to say about, both good and bad. Um, 
So I'd say the media reaction is a point in the uh, in the win column for uh, University of Arizona and Kevin Sumlin because again everyone thinks that Herm Edwards hire is a joke and everyone also seems to think that uh, this was the best hire made in the Pac-12 or at least one of the top two hires made uh, in the Pac-12 this year. So uh, I'd say right now, so that's two nothing. Kevin Sumlin over Herm Edwards, uh, but we're going to bring the score a little bit closer because I want to talk about the billboards. Uh, these billboards with Kevin Sumlin's face on it uh, that are up in Phoenix, in Tempe, and all over the state, I thought Herm Edwards had the absolute perfect response to that, which was, you know, if they he, he's earned it, he's a good coach, if they want to put him on billboards, fine, but for me it's about the team. I don't want to be on any billboards. It's not about the coach. And I have to say that that was probably the most incredible passive-aggressive burn from a coach that we've had in this state in a long time. Maybe since Stoops essentially calling uh, Arizona State a junior college over the whole Jarrell Barber decommitment. Um, uh, just Just a fantastic intentional, unintentional burn from Herm Edwards. So on the issue of the billboards, making Kevin Sumlin and University of Arizona look vain and weak uh, for trying to market their head coach, I got to give a point to Herm Edwards. So we're two to one right now, Sumlin the advantage. And the the, the next thing I want to get into um, in, in, in my scorecard is, because uh, we, we haven't had a whole lot of recruiting go down yet, and I, you know, I potentially wouldn't mind deducting a point from University of Arizona for acting like they won a commitment of a player who was already signed before Kevin Sumlin got there in Jamari Joyner, uh, as University of Arizona just kind of failed to warn anybody that they had a guy who was already signed being recruited by Arizona State, UCF, Alabama, and others. Um, Totally ridiculous on University of Arizona's part. Uh, But, you know, that is really the only recruiting action that that we've had so far. And I would would absolutely say that uh, uh, if I was taking that into account, that would probably take a point away from University of Arizona and Kevin Sumlin. But social media. Social media is the last one. and I, I want to say that, uh, you know, Herm Edwards, who has over 100,000 Twitter followers, despite not tweeting in like six or seven years, has taken to every morning posting a motivational quote that really, you know, simple stuff like, hey, guys, hey, ASU football players, he always directs it to them, like, don't be an idiot is essentially, you know, the, the gist of whatever advice. I think this morning's was, um, you know, uh, if you're angry, you react quicker than if you think about something or just something that's, you know, the stuff, chicken soup for the soul type stuff. Uh, and it's getting incredible reaction because for most people love that type of stuff. They eat up the motivational stuff. And what did Kevin Sumlin do? He, he posted a picture of his Jordans. And so I think that it just it, it illustrates a really interesting contrast between the two coaches. You have a guy who's there to sort of lift everybody up, and then you have another guy who uh, says, hey, look at me. (laughs) These are my shoes. I'm cool too, guys. Even though I'm 50-plus years old, I have nice shoes. And hey, you know what? He can afford them. 
He got a $10 million check from Texas A&M the other day and, and all, all the power to him. But at the same time, I think that uh, I'm going to give a point to Herm Edwards there because I just like that strategy more. Uh, and I think they're both being their authentic selves. And there, there's no, like I said, there's no moral issue here. But, you know, one, one coach's social media strategy is to post a picture of his Jordans, which will be very effective with some people. And the other one is to try to lift people up. And that'll be effective with others. And, we, you know, we're about to see. And, and, and as I keep score, uh, that brings us even. I'd say that it's 2-2. But as I keep score over time, uh, we'll, we'll see which one is more effective. And with signing day coming up, uh, we'll see who ultimately uh, gets a point and has the advantage for what goes down on February 7th. So this has been the Devil's Junkie Podcast. I want to thank Connor Soley, Jacob Conover, Jalen House, Mike Bibby, uh, and everybody for listening. Uh, I really, really appreciate you giving uh, me the time to, to listen to what I have to say on here. Subscribe to devil's digest please subscribe to devil's digest because uh they pay the bills for me and i love doing this podcast and um and uh didn't get to some of your questions but i'll make sure to do that in the forum and if you're subscribed to devil's digest then that's all the more helpful because you'll get answers to those questions as well i hope everybody's having a great week look forward to checking back in over signing day for all of your questions about recruiting uh who asu is in on and who they will probably land on february 7th hodrabino's got some great stuff up devilsdigest.com um, subscribe. Annual membership comes out to be like $8.33 a month, and it helps us uh, get you all the information that we do. So we will catch you next time. I was living in a devil town. I didn't know it was a devil town. Oh, Lord, it really brings me down about the devil town. All my friends.